Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon and welcome to the Parenting Aces Radio Show on Blog Talk Radio's UR10F Network. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and this is our second to last podcast of 2016. Hard to believe the year is coming to a close so quickly, but it is, and we're finishing out the year strong with two great shows this week with Coach Todd Whittem, part three of our chats, and we've got a lot of good stuff to talk about. And then next week, John Falbo will be back for part four of my chats with him. So you guys are in for some some good listening, some good advice, and uh, I think we're finishing the year very strongly. I'm excited about it and looking forward to 2017 and what's in store there. Um, I've been reaching out to various folks about coming on this show in 2017, and hope, hopefully we're going to have Martin Blackman from USTA Player Development on, um, looking at possibly having a few of the young pros on tour that are either recent college grads or recently finished their junior career and went straight to the pros. So that should be very fun. And, uh, you know, we've got a lot of other good stuff on tap as well. But as always, I am open to suggestions. So if there's somebody in particular that you'd like to hear from, please, please, please reach out to me and I'll see what I can do about getting them to commit to giving us an hour of their time. Mostly everyone is is very generous that way. So, so far, I don't think I've ever been turned down flat for a show request, so hopefully that won't change. But um, like I said, I'm always looking for ideas and and would love to hear from you guys. You can reach me at lisa at parentingaces.com or you can tweet at me or post on our Facebook page. And speaking of tweeting and Facebooking, I want to just remind all of you to be sure to follow us on the various social media outlets because Sometimes I post information there that doesn't make it onto parentingaces.com and you don't want to miss anything. Um, There's some stuff that's, you know, really valuable in terms of development, in terms of college and recruiting, uh, in terms of sponsorships and representations. So make sure to follow along. And if you're not reading our website, if you're just a podcast follower, I would encourage you to check out parentingaces.com and you can sign up to get an email notification each time a new article is posted on the site and that way you don't miss anything. So take a look there, parentingaces.com. And uh, I think that's it for my announcements. Uh, I do want to just remind you guys to check out the other shows on the UR Tennis Network. Coach Chuck Creasy from the Citadel, he's the head men's coach at the Citadel, has a show each week. And Coach John Denise, who runs the Florida High School Tennis Coaches Association, also has a show each week on the network. So um, be sure to check those out. All right, so without further ado, let me get Todd on the line because we've got a lot of stuff to talk about. As you guys know, the USTA just released some junior competition changes for 2017. Those will go into effect January 1st. And so I thought this would be a good opportunity to chat with Todd about those changes and what they're going to mean for him as a coach and, and how he's managing, I guess, the new information with his players and parents. So, Todd, thanks again for coming on the show and um, taking some time off the court to be with us today. I I assume it's a lot warmer and sunnier down in Florida than it is here in Atlanta today. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, thanks again, Lisa, for having me on the show. Um, Yeah, it's about 85 to 87 degrees here in South Florida, so I'm still sweating bullets out there on the court every day, but uh, for me, it beats the snow, so so I'm enjoying my... uh, my holiday season, and hopefully the uh, the viewers are uh, enjoying their holiday season as well. Well, you know, for tennis families, winter break can be a nice break from tennis, but for a lot of families, it's just one more week in the year. So um, the kids are training, the kids are playing tournaments. Um, there's several tournaments going on around the country and internationally as well for the kids that are on the ITA path. ITF path, sorry, and um, 
So I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about, uh, well, I guess let's start with what you're doing with your players over winter break. And I know that you have some college kids that come down there to train with you uh, to get ready for the dual match season that starts in January. Um, but you also have some juniors that you work with over winter break. So why don't you share with us what you're doing with your kids and uh, how you take advantage of maybe them having a few extra hours in the day since they don't have to deal with school right now. Right. Well, like I've said in any of the uh, any of the other shows that we've spoken about, each and every child, I look at them, you know, as a, as a case by case uh, basis. You know, they're they're all different. So. Now that some of the kids aren't aren't going out to winter nationals, they have a nice little block of uh, of training that that they can do. So a lot of it, a lot of times now during this time of the year, I'm gonna be training the child, you know, pretty hard physically, working on maybe some some technical things in in their game, uh, whatever it shall be. But they're training pretty hard, and I don't have to really ease off for some tournaments for them. Um, in terms of the college coaches that have uh, contacted me to train some of, some of their players, uh, I've spoken about with them uh, to to train them properly. Is basically um, to make sure that that I'm following the same plan that that they're doing at school. So it could be you know working on a specific area in a, in a child's game, movement, technically, tactically. It just depends on each each individual. Um, so. So it, it obviously takes a lot of hours to make sure that it's done properly. The, the college kids in particular really only have a couple of weeks that they, that they can do this. So you need to make sure that, you know, they're getting plenty of reps. And then basically I, I have to make sure I'm following the plan of what the college coach has been working on so that we're all on the same page and that the, the college player is ready for their season and they have a great season. I think, you know, I just want to point out that with the college players, for the most part, their college coach is sending them home for winter break with a set plan of what they need to be doing because they hit the ground running when they get back to campus in January. Um, the ITA official kickoff weekend isn't until the end of January, but, you know, if these kids slack off for their entire winter break, they're really going to be behind the eight ball when they get back to campus in January. So most of the coaches are really good about sending the kids with a plan, but because of the NCAA rules, the kids can't train with their college coaches officially. Um, and so they do have to make other arrangements when school is not in session to get the training that they need. And for some of them, that means connecting with somebody like you, Todd. For others, you know, they're hooking up with a group of buddies and, and doing their own thing, and, you know, they've learned through the fall semester that, you know, these are the things we need to be doing to get ready. And so they maybe just continue with that. But um, it, is it challenging for you as a coach to kind of step into another coach's game plan or is that something that just, you just manage it? Well, it, it's, for, for me, it's, it's not, it's not very difficult because, I've communicated with the college coaches and obviously they know their player um, quite well. Um, I'm training two boys um, over, over the break. One that I trained for his last couple of years um, of junior tennis. So obviously I know him quite well. And then one where the coach actually contacted me to, uh, to be working with one of his top players. Um, so we've had discussions about, you know, what to do, the process, um, that they've gone through at school so that I can continue that process, the things that need to be worked on. So, so for me, it, it's really not that difficult. I, I could, I could get on the court with this player, start hitting balls with them and, and go through maybe some point play and some drills and I can pick up some things quite quickly. Um, so that, uh, you know, I know what to work on. Maybe, maybe I could pick up on a thing or two that maybe the college coach didn't explain to me that need to be worked on. But, um, but really, I mean, it's, it's, it's not, it's not very complicated and, uh, you know, you go about your process on a very disciplined in a very disciplined manner. You know, day in and day out for those for those couple of weeks, and the players should progress at a very accelerated rate. Especially if they're going to be trained in a in a pretty private situation. You know, basically four or five hours a day, and 
they're going to be working hard and some very tough drills physically and, and emotionally. And, um, and it's really just the preparation that they're going to need to uh, start off their, uh, their college tennis season. How do you integrate the college kids in with your juniors? Because you're still working with your juniors as well. Well, that's right. So one of, one of my main rules is everyone trains with everyone. So I have, you know, obviously I have a couple of the college boys coming into town. I actually have, um, there's a Korean professional that, that comes over uh, during this time every year that I trained with under our coach, Pierre Arnold. And so he's now preparing for his 2017 season here in South Florida. And I trained with him for many years and he's still competing in Asia. So he comes over and he, he plays some of the professional tournaments um, in January and February. So he's preparing now. So he'll be training with some of the college boys. He'll be training with some of the juniors. There's another boy that comes in uh, quite often, and he's one of Pierre Arnold's students, and then I help him as well, and he just committed to University of Pennsylvania. So that's now you know, the second player that's, that's come through our, our system that's going to be going to that Ivy League school. And so he's now integrated into training with these great players, and, and really that's what Pierre and I believe in. Um, you know, there, you, you want to make sure that the players aren't separated and, you know, this one is too good for this one. And really the philosophy that I grew up with, with Pierre and his partner was if someone can put a ball on the court, there's always something that you can work on. So, you know, and, and that, and that's really what, what the type of mentality that I went through throughout my tennis career, it's going to be very difficult to find players, you know, higher level than maybe your child, but you need to make sure that you have a very productive plan on how your child is going to become a much better tennis player. And so, you know, a professional um, like that, a professional that's here training with my, with, with my juniors, he knows exactly what he needs to do to be preparing for his 2017 season. And he's, he has no problem training with, with juniors or the college players or, you know, whoever it shall be. And then obviously as, as coaches, we're monitoring to make sure that each and every each and every player is getting what they need. That, that's our job. Our job is to make sure that they're progressing at all times. And if they're not, then we need to, we need to tweak something or make, or make some changes so that everyone is getting what they need. So let me ask you this, because I've always found, that, found it interesting to watch juniors hitting with college players and juniors hitting with professionals and college players hitting with professionals. The ball feels very different coming off those three groups rackets, right? I mean, you know, the ball gets progressively harder. It gets progressively heavier. Um, the, you know, a, a professional player versus a college player has a lot more variety in the type of ball they can hit. And, you know, even, of course, magnified from a junior. So I understand, like, you know, if if the the junior can keep the ball in the court, then the college player or the professional has something they can do with that ball to to improve and do the work they need to do. But can the junior handle the pace and spin and quickness of the college or professional level ball in order to improve? Or is it more of just you know, this is the next step. You need to know what that feels like and figure out how you're going to deal with it. Well, that's, that's an excellent, excellent question. Um, so in terms of some of, some of my younger juniors that I'm, that I'm training, um, you know, they, I've put them through some hitting with myself to see what they can handle, whether whether they can handle, you know, professional or college ball, um, you know, that that's basically, you know, for me, for me to determine and for them to determine. Um, and at the present moment they can, because, you know, I've, I've shown them, I mean, I, I get, and I get out there and I hit with them and I'm hitting many times I'm hitting full out, whether they can maybe handle it quite well at the moment or not. I want them to see the level of intensity and the level of pace and heaviness coming off, coming off a racket from, you know, from someone who can hit a big ball. So it may be a little bit of a shock in the beginning, but the players that I, that I've trained and, and can, and, and still am training, 
they've seen it from me. So then when they see it from, from someone else coming, coming into town, whether it be a person on tour or a person in college, it, it now it's a little bit familiar in the beginning. It could be a little bit tough, but you know, they, they, they start to make the necessary adjustments. And obviously I speak to them about making the necessary adjustments, but they have been trained to be able to handle this. And then when they can handle it now, you can obviously, you can, you can incorporate different players into their training program as well as maybe they can go play against some higher level players in tournaments. So, so, you know, they've, they've been trained to handle the pace and the heaviness and a little bit of the, of the uh, physicality coming from per se an, an adult compared to the juniors that they play against on a regular basis. Interesting. Very interesting. Well, since we're talking about juniors, let's let's kind of segue into these 2017 junior comp changes. And one of the more interesting things that is coming in 2017 is this whole change to how the ranking system will work for players who are moving into the next age category. So, for example, they're moving up from 12s to 14s, 14s to 16s, et cetera. And in the past, it used to be that all of your ranking points disappeared when you aged up. So your last year in the 12s, whatever your ranking was in the 12s, all those ranking points in the 12 and unders disappeared as you started playing 14s. And so what people would do is they would start playing up in their last year, last six months of an age group. They would start playing the higher age group in hopes of building a ranking. And in 2017, now 20% of your younger age group points will carry over into the next higher age group. So it's going to make it presumably a bit easier on those kids who are aging up. Um, They'll enter the new age group with hopefully a high enough ranking to allow them to continue to play in this similar level of tournaments that they were playing in in the lower age group. And I'm just curious how traditionally you've managed aging up with your students and if or how that will change under these new rules in 2017. Well, I I think it's a good rule. Um, I'm always a firm believer of a child playing their age group unless they have completely dominated and they've outgrown the age group. Um, there, to me, there's too many players that are playing up and for various reasons. I've spoken to parents over the years and they've, I've heard many different reasons of why they have their child playing up. And many times I've brought the child back down, to be quite honest. And it's really just for the development of, of the child. Um, they need to understand how to win matches and in different circumstances against all these different types of tennis players that they come against. If, if you're trying to dodge competition um, or if your child doesn't like playing against this type of player or that type of player, then you're going to, there's going to be some big problems down the road Um, in terms of children aging up and getting 20% of their ranking points. I, I think that, I think that's a great thing. They don't have to start from scratch when they age up. I think that that's a good thing that the USTA is incorporating into 2017. Um, so, you know, it, it all, it'll all take time to, to sink in and, you know, they'll, they'll see, you know, the parents and the children will see the benefits of it. Um, but uh, I think there are way too many kids playing up and, you know, you need to make sure that the child is not winning too much and you need to make sure that the child is not losing too much. If, if they're winning too much or they're losing too much, there's something going wrong in the management of that child for, for their tournaments. When you say that a child needs to be dominating in their age group, what do you mean specifically? Well, I can give you an example. So when I was coming through the Florida juniors and playing nationals, um, each time I played a tournament, it was considered an an examination. So when I was training, that that was my homework. And then my my exam or my examination was the tournament. And that's how Pierre managed me as well as his partner um, to see the progress that I was making. Um, so if I went to a sectional tournament and, uh, maybe I lost in the quarterfinals, 
that may have been a good result, maybe not a good result. But really, the only way that I aged up to the next the next division or going to play higher level tournaments is if I won the tournament and and probably having to win multiple tournaments. But it it comes down a lot to the the management of the player and making sure that the coach is managing that well, as well as the parents. So it is a team effort on, on everyone's part. Um, there, there's a lot, there's a lot that goes into it. And, and the children that I see, I don't see them being managed that well into what tournaments they should be playing, how often they should be playing, what kind of training they should be doing so that they're, they're peaking for their tournaments. So there's a, there's a lot that goes into it, but um, in terms of, in terms of the tournaments, you know, they, they should be considered examinations. And so whether you need to work on something after the tournament or, you know, maybe you've had such a great tournament, maybe you are ready for the next level of tournaments, but that, that's, that's really for the coach, coach to, to see. And then you come up with a plan because you have progressed to the next level, hopefully, so that you can play higher level tennis tournaments. So let me ask you this. When you say, again, they need to have done well, have a good tournament, that doesn't mean winning two rounds and losing to the one seed. Or maybe it does mean winning two rounds and losing to the one seed. Is that, can that be an indicator that it's time to play at the next higher level of tournament or to play in the next age group? I mean, I, I really want us to get specific here because I think there's a lot of confusion over what level tournament your child should be playing and what age group they should be playing in, whether they should stick to their true age group or, or be playing up. Sure. That, that's, an, that's an excellent question. Um, the child needs to win the tennis tournament, in my opinion. They need to go through the draw and they need to win the tennis tournament. Now, they may have gone through the draw and had a really, really tough, tough tournament where they won a lot of matches, maybe in, in three sets or, you know, very, very tight sets, and it was a struggle. Okay, that does not mean that your child is head, head over heels better than the competition. Now, when a child goes through the draw and they're, and they're really beating up on their, on their opponents and they're beating them badly, there's really only one other place for them to go, and that's to the, to the next level. Um, you have to prove yourself. You're, you're, the child needs to needs to come home with a champion's trophy, in my opinion, for them to to really progress to the next level. If they're winning some matches, losing some matches, winning some matches, losing some matches, that means that you're really you're in the right spot at that moment. You may not, you know, be happy that your child is in is in that position, in you know, in their in their age group, and then winning some and losing some. But that's really where your child is at. I mean, there's there's no secret, you know. I mean, the, the, there's there's wins and losses in every single tournament, and uh, you know that that's the, those are telltale signs really of where your child is at at that present time. Okay, and so you're saying the kid needs not only to win the tournament, but win in a dramatic fashion, meaning. You know they're they're losing maybe fewer than three games, or three games or fewer per set, maybe. Yeah, um, I mean, not, not, so maybe like in UTR terms, they would be considered non-competitive matches. Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not saying every every case is different, but if a child goes out and they and they and they have and and they win five matches to win a tennis tournament, and three of them three of them have gone to three sets and they were just really, really tough matches, your child has had a fantastic tournament. They've, they've won five matches, but they, they probably are in, are in the proper position, you know, where in, in their age group. Now, if they go out in the next tournament and then, and they win the next sectional per se, then, you know, then, then there could be a discussion. If it, if it, if there's too much winning, like I said, then, then you, you need to bump it up now. I don't, I don't see that case all too often. I, I hear about the cases of, no, I just want my child to play in a, in a, you know, in a 16th tournament, even though they're only, you know, or that, you know, they're, they may be much younger. And I'm like, no, they, they, they should be in 14s. They have not proven themselves. And, and, and you have to go step by step. If, if a child is coming out and they're really beating up on the competition and they're, and they're running through the draw, 
you know, in, in five matches, then, then you need to make sure that, that, that they go to the, that they go to the next level and you have to then manage to see how they're doing at the next level, you know, and then, and you, and you go from there. Talk about the difference in playing the next level of tournament, the next higher level of tournament versus playing the next age group. What are the benefits of each? What, like, how would you decide if it's just time for this kid to move up to the next higher level of event or it's truly time for them to move up an age group? Well, it, it, it basically goes, goes to that progression like, I, like I've been speaking about um, in Florida. For example, if, if, you win a level, if you win a level five, I would love to see that child maybe win if they could win a level four in that same age division, then we have a discussion of maybe they need to go to the next age division. Um, to me, you have to, the child has to try to win at the, at the highest level of, of their, of their age division. Now, maybe it's sectional. So if they're winning their highest level sectional in their section, then they may need to go to the next, next age division. Um, if, you know, it's, it's, it's really, each, each case is different, but from what I've seen, a lot, a lot of the, a lot of the players are playing up and, and, and in my opinion, for, for the wrong reasons, um, they may be, you know, I've had parents come to me and say, well, my child does not like playing against moon ballers. So we've gone to the next division and, and the kids hit the ball harder. And and the first thing I think about is, oh, they're missing out on really good learning opportunities here, and it's really going to hurt them in the long run. And and I've and that's just one example I've heard over the years. I've heard many other examples. And really, you're 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 hurting you're hurting the player. And, and I and I can tell you I can tell you a quick a quick story that there was a, there was a player that came that came into Florida, and we were in the 14s, and I beat this player the first time. But then he ended up beating me maybe in the next four or five times. And I could not beat him the next four or five times. And this was over a couple of years. And I, and I played him a bunch of times and we played a lot of the same tournaments. And I was not going to you know, really progress to the, to the next level until I started beating these types of players. And so I, you know, I kept seeing him at all the tournaments and everything. And by the time I became 16 and we played at the Easter Bowl, I beat him up pretty bad. And that meant that I had progressed over the years and now I have progressed really to the next level. And so that was very exciting for me because this was a player that I had very much struggled against for a couple of years in Florida. And so that was, that was a big, you know, a big, a big turning point in my junior tennis career. And if my coaches had said, no, no, you need to play up in the next division because this type of player is playing this tournament and that and, and, and blah, blah, blah that really would have hurt my development. And so I'm very fortunate that I was managed well and that, that I was told very good information so that I could progress. And it wasn't fun at times. It was a struggle and it was a big time struggle trying to beat this type of player. But when I was 16, I was able to do it. It gave me a lot of self-confidence, a lot of self-belief. And then, and I was on my way to hopefully doing bigger and better things in tennis. And, I mean, let's face it, there are a lot of factors that go into these types of choices that coaches make, parents make, um, about which tournaments their children should be playing. And, you know, one of the factors could be a financial factor. You know, we are strictly keeping our child in sectional events, uh, local and sectional events. That's it. We are not going to spend the money or the time traveling to play tennis, um, you know, we feel like our child can get everything he or she needs within a two-hour radius of our house, and so that's where our focus is going to be. And maybe in that situation, you know, if you know those are the constraints you're working within, then maybe that's a kid who's going to play in the next higher age group um, because they're going to tap out in terms of, the level of tournament that's available in a two hour radius. Right. Um, or I guess maybe you start putting them in, you know, adult opens or <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what you do with them. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that's the cool thing about tennis is you have a lot of options. 
Yeah, I mean that that's that's a very good very good point that that you're making. Um, I was not I was not traveling around the whole country chasing national points. I was staying here in Florida, and I was seeing the same players over and over again. I was training very very hard on a daily basis to try to beat these players. It it, it sometimes took me years of training to be able to beat these types of players. Um, you know, for example the players that were very solid or didn't really hit the ball hard and were kind of, you know, just putting the ball in those players gave me absolute fits when I was a younger, younger uh, tennis player, when I was in the 12s and 14s apps, they were, it was, it was brutal for me. I was playing three hour marathons twice a day against these types of players in all the tournaments. And you know what? I kept doing it over and over again. I kept coming up with game plans and, and plans to try to defeat these types of players and finally, when I became good enough, I was able to beat these types of players and they weren't really a problem for me anymore. Um, in terms of uh, other players, I can give you a great example. One of the boys that's coming to train with me over uh, the Christmas break, um, he lived with me and I trained him full time. And uh, he became a very, very high level player in, in the two years that he was training here with me. And he would go home and he would play his sectional events. And many times he, he lost in, in heartbreaking fashion in New York and in, in the Eastern section. And he lost tough matches when he was a junior in high school in the finals of these 18 sectional tennis tournaments. And, and his father was, was very smart. And, and we, we came up with a plan that basically you're going to keep playing these until you win. And it took him a while and he struggled and he lost in the finals a bunch of times. But finally, when he became a senior, he was winning these finals and that was a big thing for him. And then he went on to college in the Ivy League and he played number one as a freshman. And he learned a lot of, of, of what it takes and the mental toughness and, and really without, without him going through that grind of, of trying to win these tennis tournaments he wouldn't be the player he is today, in my opinion. And, and his dad was smart and we managed it well. And when he was a senior, he was, he was playing phenomenal tennis and we knew that he was going to become one of the best Ivy league tennis players. And, and right now he is. And so, you know, it, like I've said all along in, in any of our shows, it really comes down to the management of the player and each player is different and you need to come up with a great plan of how this player is going to keep progressing so that they can achieve their goals and dreams. Well, so let's talk about this whole idea of planning. So, again, we've got these, um, these new junior comp uh, rules that are going into effect in January. And besides the aging up change, uh, we have some changes in the types of tournaments that are going to be available, the draw sizes of these events, and how players are going to be selected, whether it's based on – um, their national ranking, their sectional ranking, um, winning qualifying events, et cetera. So when you are working with a family and, you know, I, I almost said player, but really this is kind of a whole family issue, um, and you're looking at putting together a competition and training schedule, first of all, do you do it for the whole year? Do you do it for – six months, three months? How, how do you personally attack that? Well, I try to do it every, every three months. Um, to me, the, the scheduling can be very easy or it can be very complex. It really depends on the level of the child. If the child is struggling in, you know, maybe in sectionals or they're winning some matches and losing some matches, that scheduling is very, very easy. To me, what becomes complex is, is when they start doing very, very well and they start dominating and you need to find competition that's good enough for that child. That's when you maybe have, you know, some, some issues, you know, on your hand. Then depending on the age of the child, then maybe they, they venture into the next age group or they venture into men's and women's opens or they start playing qualifyings of some low-level professional tennis tournaments. So it really you know, depends on the age and it depends on the, on the level of the player. But in terms of making a, uh, making a schedule, you, you make the schedule and you also 
come up with the, with the, with the short-term goals. Obviously you have your long-term goals, but you have your short-term goals and depending on the maturity and how well the, the child is trained and depends on how, how quick or how slow they achieve their goals. And so, you know, it's, that's, that's how it's, it's kind of, it's kind of managed, you know, that, that I, that I, the way that I do it, or even the way that Pierre does it is that we're constantly managing and, and, and we're, and we're seeing how, how the child is progressing on a daily basis. And so if the child is very mature, very disciplined, they're going to progress at a very, very accelerated rate. If they're not, then, then the process could be a little bit slower. Doesn't mean that they're not going to, not going to improve. They are going to become a much better player, but it's not going to be at a very high, high accelerated rate, you know? So, so that's why I say each and every case is, is different. Well, let's look at, for example, a child who is dominating sectionally and skill wise, maturity wise and financial wise, um, that child is ready to start playing at the national level. So it's a transition to go from sectional play to national play. Um, it's a transition mentally for the player. It's, you know, it's a transition in terms of planning and timing and all those things. Can you maybe walk us through how that might look? So you've got a player who's won, let's say, the last three sectional events they've played, the parents have said, all right, you know, we're in financially to take our child to some national events. How do you as a coach determine what's the appropriate tournament to take them to? And then once they get to that tournament, how do you determine if they're ready to continue at that level or, you know, maybe some tweaks need to be made and what are you looking for from them when they move up to that national level? Well, that's a lot of questions in one. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no problem. So I'll try to answer them to, to the best of my knowledge, obviously. Um, you know, th- this this whole this whole business of tennis is 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 based on results. Um, so you know, the, the results of the child speak for themselves. Um, if, if, if a child goes out and wins multiple sectional tennis tournaments, that's great. They're on a, they're on a great path. I'm sure they're playing very, very well. Then they should start at the lower level, national level. Um, I would think that when they go play a national tennis tournament after winning sectionals, hopefully they're very confident, but they may be nervous going into that event. So they may not perform at their best level. Maybe they need a couple of these lower level national tennis tournaments to, to feel comfortable and start and start winning. Um, like I've said, each and every tournament, whether it's a high level tennis tournament or, or not a high level tennis tournament, it, it's an examination for, for the child. It's an exam of what do we need to work on to have this child keep progressing? Uh, where are we at in their development in, in terms of, of their tennis? Um, where are we at in, in the development in terms of their, of their fitness um, and you know even their development uh, emotionally as well. So there, there's a lot there's a lot of things. Um, so you know the 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 thing the thing that the that the that the parents need to understand is that you need to go step by step. You don't just go from winning you know a sectional tennis tournament and then the first super national you play maybe Kalamazoo and you just go out and win Kalamazoo. I've I've never heard of that before. So, you know, it's, it's step by step by step. And then if you're passing your examinations, then you need to go to the next level. You know, to, to me, it's, it's not, it's not that complicated, but I think there's a lot of options out there. There's a lot of things on the internet. There's a lot of coaches. There's a lot of, a lot of everything. And so parents are confused and they listen to this one, then to that one, to this one, then to that one. And so they're, they're guessing. And then the development of the player really starts to suffer. And, and, and that, that's really a shame because if the coach is doing a great job managing the player, they're going to be where they should, where they should be. And, and they should be progressing at all times. If the child is, if their development has stalled, if it's gone backwards, they're, they're a major problem. And, um, and so, 
you know, that that's something that the that the parents need to look at and say, well, why is my child not progressing? Why 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 are their results really really struggling? And so then then you take a step back and see kind of what what is really going on. Now, the child can be can become a a better tennis player, but maybe the results aren't showing at that particular time. I mean, maybe maybe a child moves from the 14s to the 16s and they start to they start to lose a little bit a little bit more than what they're accustomed to it doesn't mean that they're getting that they're getting worse or they're regressing in their development it could mean that maybe the players are much bigger and stronger maybe the particular player hasn't hasn't gone through puberty yet so they're they're getting a little bit overpowered um so there there's all there's all different reasons to why you know these these things happen but if you if you stay the course and you continue to try to get better on a daily basis then things should fall into place for you. Have you ever had a player that, you know, before they came to you, they were playing up, let's say, or playing in a very high level tournament, but not having the results. Um, And then you've had to explain to the family, look, your kid is playing the wrong event. We need to take a step back and reevaluate this. Have you ever had that situation? I'm I'm just curious how the player responds to that and how the parents would respond to that. Well, one one of the one of the first kids that I trained, um, that was the case, and I had only been uh, working for maybe a year, year and a half, and this particular player came to me, and she was a very very high level player, but she was playing up in the 18s and she was struggling but you could tell that she was a very good player and with good training, she was going to become a, become a, a phenomenal player. And so I did have to have that discussion. I had it with her. And in fact, this, this particular girl who was 15 turning, she was, she was 15 at the time playing in the 18s. Um, she was telling me, I want to be playing in the 16s. I, I don't want to be playing in the 18s. I said, I absolutely agree. I'm going to speak with your parents and we should, we should put you back in the 16s. And so I trained this particular player for a year. She had the best results of her life. Um, she was top 10 in the country. And she won three or four tournaments here in Florida. And she ended up being a phenomenal player for Princeton. So, you know, if she continued to play up in, in the 18s, I think she would have really struggled. Her confidence probably would have been completely down the drain. And I'm not sure where she would have ended up, but she ended up having a phenomenal year with me and um and she ended up in a in a obviously a, one of the best schools in the world and playing in the top of the lineup and she became a very very high level college player why was she playing in the 18s did you ever find out um i'm not 100 percent sure um why she was playing up in the 18s um, but looking at her results, she was struggling in those tournaments. So it was a very, very, to me, it was a very easy solution. The the, the, the biggest part was making sure that the parents were, were buying in that, you know, what, we need to take a step back and we need her to start winning more. And then we can assess whether she starts playing up, you know, back up in the 18s. But she was very, very happy uh, for that year playing in playing in the 16s. And like I said, I mean, she had made two quarterfinals of super national tournaments and she had won three or four tournaments that year. And she was, she was doing great and she was putting herself in a phenomenal position to to play very high level college tennis. One of the reasons behind the rule changes for USTA this year is to hopefully make it so that these kids don't have to play so many tournaments. You know, it seems like a lot of our kids are overplaying and they're developing overuse injuries as a result and they're burning out and they're leaving the sport um, because they're not managing their schedule properly. So from a coach's perspective, is there an ideal number of tournaments that a, a junior should play? Uh, that's a, that's a very good question. It really depends on where where your child is at in in terms of their development. Um, I've written articles on this for you. Um, that when I got off the tour in 2010, there were children that were 
playing more tournaments than I did as a professional tennis player. To me, that is completely absurd. And I still see it today. And I don't understand how a child can progress in their tennis and play three or four tennis tournaments a month. Because it, for instance, if I'm training a child and I train them very well and very hard for say Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, by Thursday and Friday, they're probably a little bit tired. And so I have to ease off so that they can be fresh for their, for their tennis tournament on Saturday. Um, so that means that they're losing precious days and precious hours of training because they're playing way too many tennis tournaments. Um, and, and, th- and that, that really is a very, very big problem. And not only that, the, the players that play in tournaments, their bodies go through way more, way more stress and a different type of stress than they do when they're training. When you're training, you may be working hard and you may get a little bit sore the next day and everything like that. But when you, when you are in a very high level, very high, high stressful time in a match or in a tournament and the nerves and the emotions, your body goes through way different, way different things than, than you could ever create in, in a practice situation. So the players in, that are playing in tournaments, their bodies are going through way more wear and tear than it, than it does in a, in a, in a practice situation. Um, so that, that's also concerning. And not only that, the reason that a lot of players become injured is because they're, they're really not strong enough and they're not fit enough. So their bodies break down. Now, the only way that your body becomes strong enough and fit enough is to be putting in the proper training in practice. So if you're playing so many tournaments a year, it could be 25, 30, 35 events, your body is not going to have the proper training to be able to handle that. And there's a very, very good chance that you're, that your child is going to, is going to sustain an injury and hopefully it's not a major injury, but I have seen plenty of children having major injuries and having surgeries, which to me is, 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 is crazy. I mean, it's just, it's not, it's just, it's, it's not acceptable in my opinion. I agree with you. I mean, it's, well, we hear all the time about the plethora of overuse injuries and, you know, I've had, medical professionals on this show talking about exactly that, you know, that they're operating on kids um, that, and they're doing these surgeries that are injuries that were only ever seen in adults. And now all of a sudden they're showing up in these, you know, prepubescent children. And it's just absolutely ridiculous. Um, You know, we are definitely not doing our children any favors by allowing them to, train and compete beyond what their bodies are physically capable of handling. Right. Well, I I agree with that. And I can tell you, and it's not to, you know, put anyone down or anything, but there's a lot of things that I, that I see on the internet, whether it's even, you know, tennis players training or physical, physical trainers training tennis players. And I kind of, I just have to kind of shut it off. And I, 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 I turn to another page on the internet because a lot of a lot of the things and a lot of the techniques that a lot of children are doing, a lot of them are are maybe improper, and it could be a tennis technique, it could be physical training, and you know it's 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 very it's very unfortunate, and you, you need some really good people and and guidance to be guiding your kid to make sure that they're healthy and that ever, that this whole this whole process of tennis and the physical training is being managed well, and um, and so what you're seeing is that it really is not managed well because you're seeing a lot of children that are having major, major injuries. You know, many, many kids having stress fractures in their backs. They're having knee surgeries, elbow surgeries, wrist surgery, shoulder surgeries. To, to me, that, that's, that, that's crazy. And so there needs to be some very, very good professionals around, around these young children that understand biomechanics they understand the techniques that that you need to be instilling at a very young age um in in these children as well as rest and recovery and range of motion of their joints flexibility all these things are crucial and not only that these children are growing and they're in their growing years so you need to 
fully understand what the training needs to be so that they can get through their growing years without having any major problems with their body. I mean, that, that's, that's very important. And, and not only that, when, when the child, if the child is banged up a little bit before they go to college, college is, is, is only tougher because now you're throwing in the, the tough studying, the tough training, the tough physical training. Maybe the child wants to have a great social life in, in, in college. And so now they're sleeping less hours and so then you see a lot of bodies breaking down in college as well. So it's, it's very, very concerning. For sure, for sure, for sure. Um, and, you know, it's, as a parent, it's often easy to get sucked in. You know, we, we hear from people that say, oh, you know, just do this and this and this, and your child's going to, you know, be way stronger than the competition and, yada, 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 and we get sold a bill of goods. And unfortunately, the certifications that are out there now for fitness professionals and even for nutrition professionals, there's so many hokey certifications out there. And, you know, I'm a big fitness nut. I, I was a fitness instructor for over 30 years. And so I'm, you know, I'm very... Um, aware and critical when I go take a, a fitness class. Um, I know what a good instructor looks like. I can tell pretty quickly somebody that's had really good training versus somebody that's gone to a weekend workshop. And, uh, you know, I think for most people looking at a tennis coach or a fitness coach or a nutrition coach, they don't know what they're looking at. You know, the the person tells them, oh, yeah, I'm certified, and, you know, they, again, sell them a bill of goods, and, and before you know it, your child's getting horrid advice and, you know, down going down a path that is only going to harm them, and uh, it's very frightening. So I want to urge parents, you've got to do your homework. I mean, the onus is on us to – make sure that our children are working with qualified professionals who really understand the scope of what they're working with when they're working with young people. And it's very different when you're working with young people versus working with adults. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you're, you're a hundred percent right. In, in this day and age where everyone is on their phones or on, or on the computer, I can tell you from example, that when I turn on my Facebook or I turn on, you know, YouTube or whatever, most of the things that I see, I, I can't, I can't watch the full video. And I'm telling you mm-hmm. honestly that I cannot watch it. And I say, well, why would they do that? And why would they do this? And then I just shut it off or it becomes very, very complex and complicated. And, and I say to myself, well, this is not that complicated or complex. What, what this certain message, what they're trying to get across. Um, so I have trouble watching those videos. Now, some are, some are very good, but some, I mean, I, I don't, I don't understand what, what they're trying to teach. I don't understand. I've never heard of, of many of these things. Many of these things are so complicated and, and complex that I can't even watch the video. And so the more that someone speaks on, on a, on a video or a training video, maybe the more that they're selling and the person is maybe buying into it. And really, I usually just shut it off to tell you the truth, because I was never brought up in listening to any of that type of stuff. And, uh, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's just this day and age and, and a lot of things are being sold and a lot of, a lot of, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't see it going down really down the right path. And, uh, and so usually I, I don't watch the videos. There are, there are some that I think are excellent, but I can tell you from, you know, from, from my experience that the vast majority are not good. Yeah. And, and again, I mean, it's the responsibility ultimately of us as parents to make sure that we're doing our due diligence, that we're choosing the right professionals to work with our children and, um, you know, we can say all we want about the bad coaches out there, but if we're paying them, you know, then uh, I, I think, you know, the responsibility is ours at that point. So um, 
as a tennis coach and, and I mean, you spend way more hours with your students than the average tennis coach. Are you also working with fitness professionals, nutrition professionals, or is that something that you incorporate into the work you yourself do with your players? Well, you know, each, obviously, like I said, each child is different. So what I have seen, especially with American tennis players, is that many times their techniques could be, you know, decently good. Maybe I need to fix something or change something here and there, whatever it shall be. But I can tell you that a lot of the kids that come to me, their background of tennis and movements are improper. And so the reason that they struggle to compete well or to maintain enough tennis balls is because that they have improper movements and they have not been taught properly how to move on a tennis court. And if you go and really study many of the, of the you know, maybe the foreign tennis coaches or, or the players coming out of foreign countries, they're actually taught complete opposite of the way that many American kids are taught. Many American kids are taught swings and techniques and grips and, and all that is okay. But in, but in, the other, in, but in, the, in the foreign countries, they're taught how to move, how to you know, read their opponent, how to be light on their feet, how to be explosive. And, and you see it with a lot of the American, American kids that I see. They're very much off balance. They're, they're not in, in physical shape. They can't maintain enough tennis balls. And that's, that's because of their waist and lower. They, they're not taught how to move properly. So many times they're off balance. And so that's really what I spend most of my time on with a lot of the kids. I don't, I do a lot of the physical training with the kids, with the kids myself. And, and obviously I learned a lot of this as I went through my junior college and professional career, but I was also trained by Argentine tennis coaches. And so that's what their philosophies were, was you were going to, you know, hit, you know, many, many repetitions, but you were also going to be taught how to move. And if you can't move properly on a tennis court, I don't care how good your grips are and how good your swings are, you're not going to maintain enough tennis balls so that you can progress through your tennis tournaments and win more tennis matches. And so physically, a lot of the children are, are a little bit surprised when they come to me because my workouts are very demanding physically and obviously, you know, emotionally and, and, and those, those workouts are, are very tough, but physically they're not, they have not done these types of things. And so I have to kind of reconstruct how they move on a tennis court so that they can then be in proper position so that they can produce a proper forehand, backhand, volley, slice, whatever it shall be. Those are the things that I'm reconstructing. And so then when I'm working with a tennis player in a, in a, in a lesson or in a group situation, the fitness is then based on those same movements and we're continually working on them over and over and over again so that they become habits for them and so they can produce proper ground strokes and volleys and those types of things. Absolutely. Well, we're coming down to our last minute or so, and um, so I just want to make sure we touch on everything. I will say in response to what you're talking about with the issue of movement with our kids, um, and, and I won't get on my soapbox, I promise, but a lot of this goes back to early specialization in a single sport, lack of PE and recess in our schools, and lack of outdoor playtime for our kids where they're just allowed to run and jump and climb and crawl and burrow and all of the activities that I grew up doing as a young child. We're really uh, just impeding our children's physical development by taking away all of these opportunities. So that said, Todd, do you have any last words you want to leave us with as, as we wind up our hour and, uh, and jump into our holiday season? Well, I mean, obviously I would like to wish everyone a great holiday season. And, uh, you know, really it, it is the coach, sorry, it is the parent's responsibility to do their research about who is going to guide their child. You know, that's very important. There's a lot of there's a lot of tennis coaches. There's a lot of physical trainers in this country, and um, but it all depends on really how good you want your your child to be and how good they want to be. So if 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 their goals and dreams are to be a high level college or professional or you know a, a decently good college tennis player, 
the the research is going to have to be extensive into who is going to guide your child so that those goals and dreams can be achieved. And that's really, that's really what I do on a daily basis. And, and that's really what I think, you know, the parents should, should be doing. They need to be doing a lot of research, not just listen to another parent and just throw their kid into this place or that place. That's not going to get anything accomplished. Great advice. Well, thank you again for being with us. And to my listeners, thanks so much for tuning in. Have a very Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Everything is overlapped this year. It's crazy. We've got uh, lots of celebrating to enjoy together. And I wish you all lots of good time with your family and loved ones. Todd, I look forward to continuing our chats in 2017 and wish you and your family all the best in this holiday season. Thank you very much, Lisa. Same to you. Appreciate it. Thanks. Have a great week, everybody, and we'll see you next week on Parenting Aces.